It's too crazy to me <laughs> to watch that, to see everything that God has done in the past year. It's so good. And uh, as Jacob said earlier, if you were a part of that, if you are joining us now for lap two around this track of hopefully just infinite laps, thank you for that. It's so cool to see God at work in the lives of his people. It's so cool to see those people gather together to lift high the name of Jesus and to be the church. So thank you for being a part of that incredibly special. First year, really something to behold. Lives change. The dead going from dead to life. And the symbolism of that in baptism. People coming into relationship with Jesus for the first time. Marriages restored. Relationships put back together. Broken, messed up people being made whole again, being made clean, all because of one thing, and that's Jesus. And that's what we get to experience, not just here on Sundays, but that's certainly what we get to come together and experience, but we get to experience that every single day in our walks with him. I just think that is, that is so sweet. So I'm about to cry. I'm going to start talking about something different now. <laughs> I don't know about you, but it is January 2nd, so a lot of you may have made New Year's resolutions, and uh, I just want you to know that tomorrow is Monday, and me and my family, uh, we will serve the Lord, and we will start New Year's resolutions on Monday. I don't know who starts New Year's resolutions before then. Monday is a natural start of things, and they already stink as it is, and so why not just, uh, you know, make it stink a little more? Maybe some of you have New Year's resolutions to lose some weight, to start eating better. Maybe some of you are going to start working out. You're going to start exercising. Uh, maybe start walking, speed walking, some people call it jogging, uh, or maybe even running. I, at one point in my life, thought, I want to be a runner. Um, and you look at my body and you're like, I don't know, dude, I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't either, but give it a good try. But I met a guy, and his name was Andy, and Andy loved running. Um, he had run multiple marathons, multiple half marathons, and so I really thought to myself, like, you know, if I wanted to be like Captain America, might as well train under Steve Rogers. If I wanted to be Batman, I might as well be Robin. If I want to be the next great marathon runner, I need to train under this guy who has built nothing like me. So my whole life, I go from just being trained to go 5 to 15 yards really fast, really hard. I think the longest I'd ever run around a track was one lap, and that was borderline closest to hell I've ever been. <laughs> and then I'm like, hey, bro, you run? That's cool. And he looks at me and he says, hey, uh, you don't run. And I'm like, you're right. He's like, well, I'm, I'm kind of wanting to put some muscle on. I was, oh, that's great. I have all the muscles, and so I can teach you how to have them as well. And so we started working out, lifting weights about two times a week. And I don't know how we started running more than lifting weights, but we started to, to run. And it started off, you know, a good quarter mile, and I was toast. And then it went up to a half a mile, and eventually one mile, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. I just ran a mile. I'll probably take a couple weeks off. I'm doing pretty good running right now. 26 more of these, and I'll be there. And then we bumped it up to three and back down to two, from two to five. And the first time I ran five miles without taking a break, I was feeling like Sylvester Stallone and Rocky, like I was ready to take on anybody. And then Andy said, hey, man, there's a race coming to town. And I think 
you know, you're really progressing well. You're the slowest runner I've ever seen in my life. But I really think, you know, you're, you're sticking to it. You're not quitting. That's good. But I really think that this race will kind of help you take your running to the next level. You're a competitive guy, and I feel like this is the, kind of the perfect thing for you. And so I was like, all right, man. So, like, what is this thing? Like, a, a 1K? You just run 1K? I don't know. How, how many, how far is a K? And so it turned out it wasn't, it didn't even, it wasn't measured in Ks. It was measured in miles, and there were 13 of them. And so I signed up for this thing, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go for it, and we're going to run, and we're going to see how this is going to happen. Maybe you've heard of it. This thing is called a tough mutter. Go ahead and show. That's not a bad word. It's tough mutter. There's a lot of mud involved in this. And so basically what it is is a race where you start at a starting line, just like every other race, and you run to different obstacles for a half a marathon's worth of mileage, okay? So 13 miles, and then every once in a while, there is an obstacle that you have to get across, okay? So um, this one right here, um, everybody looked around. It was me and a 400-pound dude next to me, and they were like, hey, you're the, kind of the biggest dude here. The rest of us, we look like runners. Um, he's going to have to get up on your shoulders to get up here, and so that was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> this right here, I don't know, monkey bars, they're not the same as when you were a kid. Okay, I don't know when the last time you did monkey bars were, but it just rips all the skin off your hand. Um, but I did make it across, and a lot of people fell in. I was like, that's what you get, runners. Okay. <laughs> and then literally the worst thing I think I've ever done, not the worst thing I've ever done in my life. It's pretty close. It's like, here's Christmas lights, here's this. Okay, so uh, this is the finish line. And so what the finish line is is 100 feet, and it's just bales of hay that you have to hurdle over. But you see these things dangling down? That's not like streamers like, hey, you did it, good job. Those are live wires, okay? These are some sick, demented people. <laughs> you run through that, and just when you feel like you're doing good, they wait for you to jump over the bale of hay, and they just initiate these things, all right? They switch it on. You get shocked. I don't know, it felt like 1,000 volts. I'm sure it wasn't even 120, but you just basically black out in the air, and you land face first. <laughs> They did that to me three times trying to get across. So I learned some things, okay? First of all, I'm never doing this silly, silly race again. Second thing I learned is I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a winner, okay? Like, man, we took off out of the starting blocks. We took off hard. There was a lot of people that were thinking, man, they must really run every day of their life. But what I also noticed is I was passing these people up on mile two, mile three, now, I was not running to win the race, but I was running to completion. Today, we're talking about finishing the course. As we dive into what the Apostle Paul says in Acts 20, verse 24, we are looking at finishing the course. As a church, we are one lap around this track. We have ran, and we've started off strong. But here we are at our first obstacle. And it's not really an obstacle, it's just another year. We've made it through COVID. We're going to make it through other things. We're going to band together as a church. We're going to rely on Jesus, and we are going to keep running. Paul uses this metaphor, race, or finish the course, over and over and over. In the NIV, it says, if I may finish the race, if I may finish the course, it says in the ESV. But I think Paul is writing out of a place of experience. I think Paul's life didn't necessarily resemble a race or a marathon where you're just running 
and that's all you're doing? That's like the easy man's version of a race. You just basically, maybe there's hills, maybe there's not. I think what Paul's life resembled more than anything was something like the Tough Mudder or a Spartan race or something like that, where basically Paul would arrive in town. He would start to preach the gospel, running, running. And then he would face opposition. All of a sudden, an obstacle pops up. He would often come close to death, another obstacle. And then he would either be ran out of that town or he would have to sneak out in the middle of the night and leave for another town, again running. In Paul's life and in his ministry and all of his missionary journeys, this was rinse and repeat over and over and over. And so today, I hope that we find encouragement Because as we read this part of the book of Acts, Acts 20, verse 24, this is the first time that Paul ever addresses a body of just believers. And he is addressing the elders of the church in Ephesus. And so if you are here this morning, and Jesus is your Lord, if he is your Savior, if you are mature in him, then I hope you find encouragement in this. As you have run around the track, as you have hurdled so many obstacles, over and over and over throughout the years in your life. And I hope we find encouragement in this today as a church as we look to do the same thing. Acts 20, verse 24. If you have a church Bible, that is page 729. Acts 20, verse 24, page 729. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If you're taking notes this morning, our first point is that when we run, we run with perspective. And we see that Paul ran and he completed the course and was working to complete the course with perspective. So we have to ask the question, what is our perspective then? Well, Paul is saying, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. That means that this is bigger than me. This has higher value than me. This is not about me. And what is this? This is our lives. Paul is talking about his life. Paul is saying, if it's not about me, he's saying this is all about Jesus. And I need to be ready to sacrifice everything at all costs at any moment for the sake of the gospel because I have been invited into something that is so much bigger than myself. I think Paul realizes something and he realizes something that we would really benefit from realizing as well and that's that our lives will come and go. We're here and we're gone. Life is but the width of a hand. It's but a grain of sand on the beach. But Paul knew something. Paul knew that you leave a legacy behind. And the life that you live has an impact, a potential impact, into eternity. And what Paul knew is that gospel, that gospel that saved him from being a murderer of Christians into being a follower of Jesus, could change so many others' lives. And he knew it to the point where he said, I am ready to risk anything. I am ready to suffer at all costs for this gospel. When we look at Paul's life, we see that Paul isn't worried about trying to personally survive. 
He knows that Jesus has a plan for him. He knows that he can trust in the peace and in the comfort of the God that loves and protects and provides for him. What Paul is concerned about is seeing the kingdom thrive and the gospel survive. So like Paul, let's take the focus. Let's take the emphasis off of ourselves. Let's put it on the kingdom. Let's put it on the gospel being advanced where God has put us. And let's, that, let's let that be our worry. And let's let God take care of everything else. So if we're going to finish the course, if we're going to do it well, this means that we need to check our perspective. I've said this before. We're going to just start on a fresh page into lap two, into 2022 of a new year this morning. But we need to check our perspective as, our, as a church, and we need to check our perspective individually. As a church, we always want to be a church that says that the kingdom of God and what God is doing in the world is more important than just our church. Now, a lot of you may think, all right, that sounds really weird. Basically, this is a completely unselfish way to go about church. We say that church is not just about us. But when we worry about the kingdom of God, when we focus on the kingdom of God, that's the entire pie right there. When we just focus on the church, we're just focused on one little sliver, one little piece of pie. And we're missing this greater picture that God is at work in doing things in the world. And so as a church, we're always going to be kingdom over church. We want the kingdom to thrive. We don't just want our church to survive. What this means for us is that we raise up people. You'll notice that we just sent out the jumpers. One of the first families that was ever a part of our church, they moved from Texas with us. We just sent the jumpers to be a part of a church in North Peoria called Valley Life North Peoria to help them get off the ground because we're a kingdom-minded church. Do we still need Stephen here? Do we still need the jumpers and their family here and all the ways that they poured out into ministry? We absolutely do. But you know what? There are other churches that need people more. There are other churches that when we are selfless, we can send them to help them get to a place of health and sustainability. Now, this also means that we are good stewards with our resources. We are about kingdom over church with our resources. That means that we trust God with what he has entrusted to us, and we raise up finances, and then we send those out to see God do incredible things with those as well. We don't just hoard them for ourselves. 11% of everything that comes into this church goes right back out to support other church plants and other ministries around the world. We want to be a church that isn't selfish. We want to be a church that is selfless. But it's not just our church as an organization. It's not just our church as a group, as a collective. No, we have to get uncomfortable this morning. What is the church? The church is a bunch of individuals that make up a body of believers. And so I will be transparent. I will go first. What is it that I need to change in my life? What perspective needs to shift in my life? It's much like being focused on the kingdom over the church. But in my life, if I'm being honest, I need to focus on other people more than on myself. This means that I need to lend my strength to my family and my family first before I expend it on other things, mostly selfish things, no matter how good they seem on the outside. My family 
is my first ministry. And that's where my heart, that's where my soul need to be poured into after they have been poured into from a relationship with Jesus. For me, this means being more of a selfless husband, being more of a selfless father, not just worrying about what I want to do. This means being more of a selfless friend, putting others before myself. Just like Paul, I need to be eager to lay myself down for those that I love. I need to be eager to sacrifice my desires. Dad's in the room, husband's in the room. How many, how many times have we said it? I just need a little alone time. I just need a little, a little me time. I just need a little time to recharge. Whether that's in the garage, whether that's working out, whether that's playing video games, whether it's just binging on Netflix. These are the things that are good things. We do need to recharge sometimes. But when those things become the priority over the things that really matter, things that God's called us to minister to first, that's where trouble steps in. Every ounce of me needs to be for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel and in Jesus. And so church family, I want to turn that around. And I want to ask you, where is it that you need to decrease so that Jesus can increase in your life? What perspective needs to change so that we can continue to run the race? Second point that we see in the scripture is that when we run, we run to completion. Paul says, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. So what do we see from Paul here? We see that if our course is life, then the finish line is death. We see that Paul is talking about consistently following Jesus until the end of his life. His course was solely focused on the ministry that Jesus has for him. And he exemplifies that having a finish line of the grave means that you have to have a life that is surrendered wholeheartedly to God. So if we are going to run the race, and we are going to run the race with completion, this means that we have to run with endurance. You think back to those tough mutter runners that took off, and they were sprinting, and they got to the first obstacle, and they just completely burnt out. Or maybe the second obstacle, and then they started just of sprinting, they started jogging, and they went from a jog to a walk, and from a walk, they literally saw people crawling at some point, and there is a point in the race where you can just say, okay, I'm done. This is a half of a half of a half marathon. I'm going to get out here. I don't know what I bit off, but this is a little too much. A majority of the runners that day stepped out at that point. It's because as they were running, they were running with excitement. They were running hot off the blocks, because man, this is fun, and we're doing this thing, but they couldn't keep up the pace, and so as a church, when we run, we need to run with endurance. This means that we have to find our pace. I do not want our church to bottle rocket. You heard a thousand of them going off around your house on Christmas Eve, and if you didn't, and you didn't write about it on social media, good job. I read it's 4th of July. I mean, it's not 4th of July. It's New Year's Eve. It's like right under 4th of July for firework sales. You should expect that kind of noise. I do not want our church to be that. Shoot up quick. Little pop, some light. That was fun. And it comes back down to the ground just as quick as it shot up. A steady pace wins the race. It doesn't have to just be slow. It doesn't have to be fast, but Let's find a healthy pace in Jesus 
and let's run the race steady in him. So if we're going to endure to the finish, it means we have to realize what lap that we're on, and we have to prepare for the laps that are, at our head, that are ahead of us. And so looking at the present lap that we are on as a church, we are on lap two. And so we've seen all the incredible ministry that has taken place through this video over the last year. The professions of faith, the ministry that our church has done, the outreach, the love, the pouring out into a community, being the church, displaying the kingdom, the baptisms. But there's stuff that goes on behind the scenes that's super boring to talk about from right here every Sunday, and a lot of times you don't want to hear it. But I'm going to fill you in on it right now so we can realize where we're at as a church. Over the past year, we've been working on becoming incorporated as a church. So what that means is we had to write a constitution, come up with a church governance structure, write bylaws, and come up with an articles of incorporation. We worked on it for most of the last year. What me and Jacob realized as we sat down to write these things is that if we were to write these things, and Jacob and I were going to be here for the rest of our lives, and nothing was ever going to change, if God was never going to call us somewhere else, or if nothing was ever going to happen to us health-wise or anything like that, then, man, we could knock these things out in like two days. But then a podcast came out. Maybe you've heard of it. It was called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And basically it tracks the rise, started off good and healthy, of a church called Mars Hill in Seattle, Washington. And then it tracks the decline and the death, eventually, of that church. Every church has a birthday, but every church also has a funeral. And so we wanted to take some time to look into the future, not just over the next couple weeks, that's usually as far out as we think, but over the next year, over the next two years, over the next 10 years, the next two decades, the next three or four decades, what does it look like when our children are adults and are part of this church? And so we have to create and cultivate a church for right now, but we also have to look into the future to protect the church of potential threats in the future. As Paul is writing this, he warns about this a little bit later on in his words to the elders in Ephesus. Acts 20, verses 28 through 30, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from, you, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So we have to cultivate, we have to create a church that is healthy, that is fruitful right now, but we also have to set something up that is going to be protected and going to be able to sustain healthy life for the future. And I am super excited to tell you that I'm not touching those things anymore because I sent them off to a lawyer at the end of last week and they are officially written until I have to make changes to him. So, and then I'm going to send them to Jacob. He's going to make those changes. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's not just about the behind the scenes as a church. We have to look at the community that surrounds us. We have to look, like, look at why God has sent us here. And that means that we have to continue identifying needs in our community. We live in a community that lacks community. We have identified that. Many of you that have been through Starting Point have heard that as we surveyed the, all three neighborhoods, Asante, North Desert Oasis, South Desert Oasis, that we came across five houses in a row where five different people said, hey, I just want community. 
I just want to know my neighbors. That's five people in a row that have never gotten outside of the house to talk to each other. So as a church, our mission is going to be, continue to be, to create community to discover true life in Jesus. We live in a master plan community where people don't talk to each other. People avoid each other when they're taking out the trash. People just park in their garage and they go inside and live in isolation. But we don't just live in a community that lacks community, that lacks relationships. We also live in a community that lacks the gospel. We live in a community that desperately needs Jesus. And the craziest thing is, I get it, that so many of them don't even know that they need Jesus. And so what we have to ask ourselves as a church is, where else can the church step in to this community? It's not just three neighborhoods anymore. New neighborhoods are popping up every single day. And every time I see a new house built, I thank Jesus that he let me be a part of a church that gets to be on the ground floor for the gospel where God is moving in Northwest Surprise. I think what a blessing that is. So as a church, we need to continue to identify the needs of those around us. And we need to continue to endure so that we can meet those needs and meet those needs well. I'm not saying we're going to meet 20,000 needs at once. It's not possible. I don't want to be a church that's an inch deep, four miles wide. But with the needs that we meet, I want us to meet well, and I want to see lives changed from it. So as we prepare for the future as a church, we're becoming incorporated. We're going to become an entity. As an entity, we can purchase land. And so we're going to be on the lookout for different spots of land. And I know that can be an exciting thing, but I want to give a word of warning, okay? I can be a dreamer. Let me just a couple drops of reality here. Land in this part of town comes and goes. It comes and goes quick, and it's really expensive, all right? People come in, buy it up. Next thing you know, CVS is moving in. Next thing you know, Fry's is moving in, and that's awesome. We want to be a part of that growth, but I think as people, we can become so attached to one space. And what I know for sure is that God has called us to this part of the city. Northwest Surprise is the place that he has called us to reach people for the gospel. I don't want us to get so married to one piece of land. Let's look at a piece of land as an opportunity to get prepared for what God has for us in the future and let us land where he has for us, not where we think we should be, but where he wills us to be. And eventually we get land, we build a building. I don't know how far down the road that is. People start throwing around millions of dollars and that's just like the scariest. I guess billions would be a little bit scarier, but it's a lot of money. And I've seen God do crazy things. And I know that if he... If it is his will, then it is going to be his bill, and he will write that check when the time comes. But we want to become a central hub for church planners, for elders to be trained so that families can be sent out to plant more churches in communities that don't have the gospel, much like the one that we are living in. And this isn't saying that we want to be the next megachurch, as we've talked about before. We want to build a building, we want to get up to 400 people, and we want to continue to send people out every step of the way. We want to be an intentional church, intentional with how we disciple, how we raise up, how we train, equip, and encourage our people today so that when the time comes and God calls them to go, they are ready to go. But again, this isn't just about the church. This is about us as well, our own personal lives. There's places that I need to give up to the Lord. There's places that I need to look at in my present that if I'm going to endure, need to change. What I realize is I need to be a little bit more highway, 
a little bit less roller coaster. Something that I realize is I need to grow in my pastoral leadership. I need to allow God to grow me into the man that he is calling me to be for the future. What does that mean? That means I need to set aside the man that I think I need to become, and I need to embrace who God is calling me to be. In order to do that, it means I need to seek Jesus like I've never sought Jesus before. It means I need to rest in his embrace and in his love. It also means I need to seek coaching. I need to seek counsel from wise, godly people. The reason for that is I'm sure you've heard there are pastors all around that their ministry looks great on the outside, but somewhere in the midst of their ministry, looking great, something changes on the inside. I don't want that to be me. I don't want my ministry, I don't want my life, I don't want my marriage to end up in a scandal. I want to be more madly in love with Jesus five years from now than I could ever dream about as I stand here before you today. And I want the same thing for you. Truth is, I love what I get to do. I wake up every day, and I'm like, man, I, is this real? I get to be a part of God's plan for this community. I get to be a part of God's church. This is what he's called me to do. And at 9 o'clock in the morning, Jacob's coming over, and we get to have fun. It's like hanging out, except it's called work. And sometimes I don't take it serious enough, and, he, and I get in trouble by him. <laughs> But I love you guys, and I love that my family is getting to experience God in this church and in this community, and I don't want that to end. So, why do we need to run to finish the course and run with endurance? It's because when we run, we run for Jesus, and we run to others. And what do we do, we do as we run to others? Paul closes out this verse, and he says, To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So as we realize that this is bigger than us, and as we navigate the course, and as we run for the long haul, let us realize that this is not just about us, but this is also for other people. When you run, you run with the testimony that you have in Jesus. You run with a story of how Jesus changed your life. And you take that peace, and you take that hope, and you share it with others. We share the good news of the gospel of Jesus because we have been saved, but so that other people can be saved. And we are not doing the saving. Jesus is alongside us. The Holy Spirit is in us, and God is for us, and we will not be stopped. No weapon formed against us will remain because Jesus will prevail, and the enemy will be defeated. So we take the gospel. We share the gospel. We are faithful with the gospel. And when we run, we run with these words on our lips. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As Paul writes a letter to the very people he's addressing in this part of the book of Acts. He says, And you were dead and the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is us. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, doing whatever we wanted to do, whatever felt good, whatever felt right, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, church, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. This is not about us, this is all about Jesus and what he has done. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Church family, as I look around this room, I'm seeing so many believers that have been running the race for so many years. I want to tell you, good job. Keep it up. Keep enduring. Keep taking the gospel that you have received that changed your life to other people. Don't stop running, and don't stop running to other people that need you to run to them. In Jesus, for Jesus, to others. Thank you for considering your life worth nothing to you, if only you may finish the course. Thank you for setting the example for me, for the younger generation of the church, and may we, as the younger generation of the church, stay true to that legacy, to continue, just like you're staying true to the legacy of the generations before you, who are staying true to the legacy of people like Paul and the saints of the faith. May we keep running. May we take the gospel. May we see the lost be found. May we see dead go to life. May we see the broken and lost be saved. Let's pray. Jesus, not without you. This past year, not without you. The year ahead of us, not without you. The years ahead of that, not without you. And Jesus, all for you. Thank you, Jesus, that your love for us was so great that you gave your life for us on the cross. That you came down from heaven, born in a manger, to live a perfect life, to be the perfect sacrifice so that at your death, you would take our sin and our sin would be replaced with your righteousness so that we could be put back in right relationship with God, so that death would have no sting, so that sin would be defeated in our lives, so that we could be forgiven, made whole, put back together, washed clean, made new, all through you, Jesus. Father, this morning, if there's someone in this room that has yet to give their life to you and they feel that you are calling them into a relationship with you and they want to experience that new life, that true life, that forgiven life, that put back together life, that clean life, that set free life. Father, I pray that you would give them the courage to let us know, to come find me down here in the front, to find Jacob after service, to find me after service, or to write it down on their connect card. And if that's you, today we want to connect with you. 
We want to know. We want to walk alongside you in this. This is one of the biggest decisions that you could ever make. We don't want you to be alone in that. Jesus, I also pray for the believers in here who have been following you year after year after year. Continue to sustain your church, Jesus. Give us the energy. Give us the people to run alongside. Continue to give us your hope. Continue to give us your peace, your love that we do not deserve. Sustain this church, Jesus, to reach people for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.